Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 270. Today's big Bible question, does Satan have a pitchfork and tail? Plus, we're going to read an awesome letter from John Newton. So, hello, friends, and a most glorious and peaceful Tuesday to you. Our focus chapter today remains in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we will also read Psalm 73, Ezekiel 25, and 2 Samuel 18, which, of course, features, quote, vast slaughter and heartbreaking deaths. Now, I don't know about you, but much of what I learned as a kid, I learned from cartoons. I suppose I had four major teachers in my life pre-becoming a teenager, my parents, school teachers, church teachers, and television, specifically cartoons on TV. So in my younger years, I sort of gravitated towards British shows and Japanese shows, and I tolerated a few American shows. Pre-age 10, most of my favorite shows, for whatever reason, I have no idea, but they were early versions of anime-type shows like Space Giants, Battle of the Planets, or Phoenix Force, and Ultraman. Not exactly anime, but definitely Japanese fighting robots kind of shows. I ate those things up. Now, of the American shows I did watch, I really spent a lot of time watching the Looney Tunes, especially when I was really young. Those are the classic cartoons with Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd, the Coyote and Roadrunner, etc. I also watched a lot of Tom and Jerry, which uh, when my kids were kind of young, they watched Tom and Jerry too. And I realized, dang, these cartoons are pretty darn violent. And that's exactly how kids' cartoons should be. Uh, I'm just kidding there. But from those cartoons, I learned how to square dance in the most violent way possible. And I learned what hell and Satan looked like. Satan ruled over hell. He was sort of the king there, and he lived there according to these cartoons. Bad people would be sent to him, and he would put them to work, but he himself enjoyed a pretty good life down there. There was some flames some places, but they didn't really burn Satan and the demons. They ran the place. Now, Satan himself looked like a sinister, red-skinned guy, maybe with a little goatee or a mustache and a tail that usually ended in some sort of arrow-type point. And he carried a pitchfork, which at some point in the cartoon was going to get poked in some poor soul's backside. Now, angels wore white garments, they had wings, and they carried harps and had halos over their head. Now, unfortunately, as we've discussed before, cartoon theology and cartoon depictions of Satan, angels, and demons aren't really accurate to the word of God at all. But most Westerners, especially most Americans, have gotten a lot of their understanding of the spiritual realm from TV and cartoons and the internet as opposed to God's word. Now, we don't want to make that mistake, do we? Of course not. So let's read 2 Corinthians 11 and let's learn from it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, you do put up with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be subduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which you had not received, or a different gospel which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. Now, I consider myself in no way inferior to those super apostles. Even if I am untrained in public speaking, I am certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have in every way made that clear to you in everything. 
Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by taking pay from them to minister to you. When I was present with you and in need, I did not burden anyone since the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. I have kept myself and will keep myself from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. But I will continue to do what I am doing in order to deny an opportunity to those who want to be regarded as our equals in what they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according to their works. I repeat, let no one consider me a fool, but if you do, at least accept me as a fool so that I can also boast a little. What I am saying in this matter of boasting, I don't speak as the Lord would, but as it were, foolishly. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast. For you, being so wise, gladly put up with fools. In fact, you put up with it if someone enslaves you, if someone exploits you, if someone takes advantage of you, if someone's arrogant towards you, if someone slaps you in the face. I say this to our shame. We have been too weak for that. But in whatever anyone dares to boast, I'm talking foolishly, I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one, with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received the forty lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me. My concern for all the churches. Who's weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows I'm not lying. In Damascus, a ruler under King Aretas guarded the city of Damascus in order to arrest me. So I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. So in this passage, Paul speaks of his ministry as an apostle. And surprisingly, it's not a ministry of privilege on earth, but a ministry of suffering and hardships and, you know, apparently escapes and things like that. But it does have a glorious blessing in the future. Now, he also describes false teachers and gives us some insight into dark spiritual forces in verses 13 through 15, which says, Such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So we learn a couple of things from this passage. One, false teachers will try and appear to be good and godly in order to lead people away from Christ and or exploit them for their own benefit. They learn this kind of deception from Satan himself, 
who is apparently a master of disguise and can and will appear to be a, quote, angel of light. So what exactly does that mean? And how should we respond to this truth? Well, this tells us, at least in part, that Satan will not appear to people as a silly, cartoonish devil, but he will seek to deceive. We shouldn't really take that lightly either. Satan is certain to be leaps and bounds more intelligent and cunning than the brightest humans and also has thousands of years of experience under his belt, as well as a knowledge of the spiritual realm, a knowledge that we Christians only see through a glass darkly, so to speak, quoting from 1 Corinthians 13. We see deception often associated with the works of the devil. As Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, 23, if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah or over here, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform, perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I have told you in advance. In fact, Jesus further describes the devil himself as a liar and the father of lies. John 8, 44 says, you are of your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. And we also see that the Antichrist will be a deceiver as well. Second John uh, verse 7 says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, this is the deceiver and the antichrist. So if the devil is a master of disguise and a brilliant deceiver, and he is, what hope do we have? How can we not fall to his lies? Well, I think Paul gives us a clue to that question in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9-11, through 11, when he says, The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the lie. And with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. So brothers and sisters, we have to love the truth. We have to devour it. We have to live in it. And we must, by constant training and intake in the word of God, teach ourselves to distinguish good and evil. So says Hebrews 5 verses 12 through 14, which says, Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. So, Let's love the truth. Let's plunge ourselves into the word, moving from milk to meat, metaphorically, not being ignorant of the schemes of the enemy, as 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 11 tells us. Let's clothe ourselves with the word. Let it penetrate our hearts. Let's live in it and love it. And I think we will be protected by the supernatural word of God, from the deception of the enemy, not by our cleverness, not by our ability to discern, but by the power of the word of God leading us and again, teaching us to distinguish good from evil. So let's close with a wonderful letter from Mr. John Newton. Now you've probably heard that name before. He is the author of the hymn, Amazing Grace. He was a wretched sinner who was saved by Jesus late in life. And uh, God used him mightily in the last years of his life. Uh, including used him to help encourage the overthrow 
of slavery in the United Kingdom. So this letter is dated April 15th, 1776, just a few months before a very famous event. This is what Newton says, My dear sir, I often rejoice on your behalf. Your call out of the world was a singular, comfortable instance of the power of grace. And when I consider the difficulties and snares of your situation, and that you have been kept in the middle path, preserved from undue compliances on one hand, and unnecessary singularities on the other, I cannot doubt but that the Lord has helped and guided you. Indeed, you have need of his guidance at your years and with your expectations in life, your health health firm, and your natural spirits lively, you are exposed to many snares. Yet if the Lord keeps you sensible of your danger and dependent upon him, you will walk safely. Your security, success, and comfort depend on him, and in the way of means chiefly upon your being preserved in a humble sense of your own weakness. It is written, Fear not, I am with thee. It is also written, Blessed is the man who fears always. There is a perfect harmony in these seemingly contradictory texts. May the wisdom that comes from above teach you and me both to keep them united in our view. If the Lord is with us, we have no cause of fear. His eye is upon us. His arm is over us. His ear is open to our prayer. His grace is sufficient. His promise unchangeable. Under his protection through the path, though the path of duty should lie through fire and water, we may cheerfully and confidently pursue it. On the other hand, our hearts are so deceitful, fallible, and frail, and our spiritual enemies so subtle, watchful, and powerful, and they derive so many advantages from the occasions of every day in which we are unavoidably and unexpectedly concerned. There is so much combustible or flammable within us, and so many temptations arising from without us, capable of setting everything on flame, that we cannot be too jealous of ourselves in our circumstances. When we can say in the psalmist spirit, Hold thou me up, we may draw his conclusion, and I shall be safe. But the moment we lean to our own understanding, we are in imminent danger of falling. The enemy who wars against our souls is a consummate master in his way, fertile in his strategies, and equally skillful in carrying on his assaults by weakening us or by a storm. He studies this, if I may say, all around to discover our weak sides, and he is a very proteus for changing his appearances. He can appear as a sly serpent, a roaring lion, or an angel of light, as best suits his purpose. It is a great mercy to be in some measure acquainted with his devices and aware of them. They who wait humbly upon the, upon the Lord and consult carefully at his word and throne of grace are made wiser than their enemy and enabled to escape and withstand his wiles. I know you will not expect me to apologize for putting you in mind of these things, though I am sure you already know them. I have a double warrant for doing so. The love I bear you and the Lord's command. Hebrews 3.13 Use the same freedom with me. I need it and hope to be thankful for it and accept it as one of the best proofs of friendship. The Lord bless and keep you. Pray for us and believe me to be sincerely yours. John Newton <laughs> What a wonderful letter. I'm such a big fan of John Newton. I don't know why I don't quote him on this podcast more but I hope to change that in the future because he is awesome. 
and wrote with such humility and grace. And oh my gosh, that was a good letter. And if you want to go back and read it again, you can do so at our website where I keep our show notes. This is the show notes for episode 270, BibleReadingPodcast.com, BibleReadingPodcast.com. Well, let us continue reading. 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. David reviewed his troops and appointed a commanders of thousands and of hundreds over them. He, he then sent out the troops, a third under Joab, a third under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zariah, and a third under Ittai of Gath. The king said to the troops, I must also march out with you. You must not go, the people pleaded. If we have to flee, they will not pay any attention to us. Even if half of us die, they will not pay any attention to us because you're worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better if you support us from the city. I will do whatever you think is best, the king replied to them. So he stood beside the city gate while all the troops marched out by hundreds and thousands. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, treat the young man Absalom gently for my sake. All the people heard the king's orders to all the commanders about Absalom. Then David's forces marched into the field to engage Israel in battle, which took place in the forest of Ephraim. Israel's army was defeated by David's soldiers, and the slaughter there was vast that day, 20,000 dead. The battle spread over the entire area, and that day the forest claimed more people than the sword. Absalom was riding on his mule when he happened to meet David's soldiers. When the mule went under the tangled branches of a large oak tree, Absalom's head was caught fast in the tree. The mule under him kept going, so he was suspended in midair. One of the men saw him and informed Joab, and he said, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. You just saw him, Joab exclaimed. Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? I would have given you ten silver pieces and a belt. The man replied to Joab, Even if I had the weight of a thousand pieces of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son, for we heard the king command you, Abishai and Ittai, Protect the young man Absalom for me. If I had jeopardized my own life, and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have abandoned me. Joab said, I'm not going to waste time with you. He then took three spears in his hand and thrust them into Absalom's chest while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. Then ten young men who were Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. Joab blew the ram's horn, and the troops broke off their pursuit of Israel because Joab restrained them. They took Absalom, threw him into a large pit in the forest, and raised up a huge mound of stones over him. And all Israel fled, each to his tent. When he was alive, Absalom had taken a pillar and raised it for himself in the king's valley, since he thought, I have no son to preserve the memory of my name. So he named the pillar after himself. It is still called Absalom's monument today. Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, said, Please let me run and tell the king the good news that the Lord has vindicated him by freeing him from his enemies. Joab replied to him, You are not the man to take good news today. You may do it another day, but today you aren't taking good news because the king's son is dead. Joab then said to a Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed to Joab and took off running. However, Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, persisted and said to Joab, No matter what, please let me also run behind the the Cushite. Joab replied, My son, why do you want to run since you won't get a reward? No matter what, I want to run. Then run, Joab said to him. So Ahimaaz ran by way of the plain and outran the Cushite. 
David was sitting between the city gates when the watchman went up to the roof of the city gate and over to the wall. The watchman looked out and saw a man running along. He called out and told the king. The king said, if he's alone, he bears good news. As the first runner came closer, the watchman saw another man running. He called out to the gatekeeper, look, another man is running along. This one also is bringing good news, said the king. The watchman said, the way the first man runs looks to me like the way Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, runs. This is a good man. He comes with good news, the king commented. Ahimaaz called out to the king, all is well, and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. He continued, Blessed be the Lord your God. He delivered up the men who rebelled against my lord the king. The king asked, Is the young man Absalom all right? Ahimaaz replied, When Joab sent the king's servant and your servant, I saw a big disturbance, but I don't know what it was. The king said, Move aside and stand here. So he stood to one side. Just then the Cushite came and said, May my lord the king hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by freeing you from all who rise against you. The king asked the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom all right? The Cushite replied, I wish that the enemies of my lord the king, along with all who rise up against you with evil intent, would become like that young man. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber above the city gate and wept. As he walked, he cried, My son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Absalom, my son, my son. Ezekiel 25, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, face the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord God. This is what the Lord God says, Because you said, Aha, about my sanctuary when it was desecrated, about the land of Israel when it was laid waste, and about the house of Judah when they went into exile. Therefore I am about to give you to the people of the east as a possession. They will set up their encampments and pinch their tents among you. They will eat your fruit and drink your milk. I will make Rabbah a pasture for camels and Ammon a resting place for sheep. Then you will know that I am the Lord. For this is what the Lord God says, Because you clapped your hands, stamped your feet, and rejoiced over the land of Israel with wholehearted contempt, therefore I am about to stretch out my hand against you and give you as plunder to the nations. I will cut you off from the people and eliminate you from the countries. I will destroy you, and you will know that I am the Lord. This is what the Lord God says, Because Moab and Seir said, Look, the house of Judah is like all the other nations, Therefore, I am about to expose Moab's flank, beginning with its frontier cities, the splendor of the land, Beth Jeshimoth, Baal Ma'an, and Kiriathim. I will give it along with Ammon to the people of the east as a possession, so that Ammon will not be remembered among the nations. So I will execute judgments against Moab, and they will know that I am the Lord. This is what the Lord God says, because Edom acted vengefully against the house of Judah and incurred grievous guilt by taking revenge on them. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off both people and animals from it. I will make it a wasteland. They will fall by the sword from Teman to Dedan. I will take my vengeance on Edom through my people Israel, and they will deal with Edom according to my anger and wrath. So they will know my vengeance. This is the declaration of the Lord God. This is what the Lord God says. Because the Philistines acted in vengeance and took revenge with deep contempt, destroying because of their perpetual hatred, therefore this is what the Lord God says, I am about to stretch out my hand against the Philistines, cutting off the Cherethites and wiping out what remains of the coastal peoples. 
I will execute severe vengeance against them with furious rebukes. They will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance upon them. Psalm 73 verse 1. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven, and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, How can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked, they are always at ease, and they increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning." If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places and make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image." When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you. Yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. Amen. Bless the Lord. Friends, may he be our refuge and strength. Good day to you and Godspeed.